0: Uh, mention of the Lord in that chapter the first indication of what the Lord would have thought. Not a big surprise to us if we've read the chapter that the Lord was not pleased but he has let things take its course without any direct conversation with David but that's about to change. So, would somebody read 12, 1-6 to 6?
1: Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said there were two men in one city the one rich and the other poor the rich man rich man, had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie, lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for, for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion.
0: Now, of course, we know how this story continues. But uh, Nathan comes to David with this uh, case. Obviously, David is the king. He's the supreme judge. It would be up to him to make some kind of a verdict in a problem situation. And so he describes these two men, one rich, one poor, one had many flocks and herds, the other one had just one ewe lamb. And the rich man needed lunch, you know, somebody come to him, and rather than taking one of the lambs from his flock, he took the one from the poor man, the one that he treated like his own child, and fed that to the traveler. And uh, do you you see some uh, wisdom in uh, this particular approach I mean like the fact that he tells a story about uh, sheep here does that have some particular application? yes because
2: David's David's
0: sure. yeah you know very wise David <clears throat> would know how attached you could get to a, to a lamb to a sheep and uh, isn't it interesting that uh, in the end of verse four, The rich man took the poor man's ewe lamb. Interesting verb in this situation when you consider what David had done. And uh, so the question is what will David's verdict be? Well, how did David feel when he heard this story? He was very angry. And what did he actually say ought to happen? He should not. Now, not that that's what's going to happen. That's what should happen. You know, I think that's his point. Uh, You know, he's going to give the verdict, but he's outraged. You know, he is. He just feels like this is this is a horrible thing. Now, do you see a problem with David's attitude here? That's exactly what we see. Oh. I mean, how do you get that upset about somebody stealing a lamb? and don't get upset about you're stealing some guy's wife and bumping him off? You know, it's like, wow, what, what hypocrisy when it comes to judging somebody else's sins versus seeing your own guilt. Nothing blinds a person to the real character of his sin as much as the fact that it is his own. That blinds us. He became angry, yet he'd committed adultery and murder. Then he gives the actual sentence. What is the actual sentence? We pay fourfold. We pay fourfold. That's odd. I wonder why he said to do that.
2: Cause, cause
0: of the price. That was what the law said. If you stole a sheep, you had to pay it back fourfold. If David knew the specific verdict in the law for stealing a sheep you suppose he didn't know what God's will was about things like adultery and murder you know clearly David is an expert on the law that's a rather obscure point Brian not only did
2: he know it but I believe that kings were commanded to write their own
0: copy of the law Deuteronomy 17 that's exactly right so presumably he had actually written it and everything else in the law at one point he said he's got to repay fourfold. that was uh, an interesting statement what about David he pays for it fourfold how so he loses four sons, he loses four sons. which four Adonijah Adonijah Absalom, Absalom going in reverse order Ammon. Amnon and the uh,
2: baby
0: and the baby four of his own sons die i believe this is the verdict essentially that came upon him comments and thoughts on uh, the Nathan parable before we see the application of it <laughs> Andrew,
3: uh, in verse four, um, it really when I mean, it says um, that he was unwilling to take from his own flock and his own herd, it really reminded me of Proverbs chapter five verse fifteen, um, where it says, "Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well." You know, he was already married; he had multiple wives, and he could have found fulfillment in that, but he chose instead to, to go and lie with somebody else's wife.
0: Good point, excellent point, yeah. Other thoughts, Logan? Can
4: you say the four sons that David lost again?
0: He lost this baby, he lost Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. The four oldest, except for that second one that doesn't ever seem to play into the story, Kiliab or Daniel. Do we have any reference to... Is that those four sons dying being any connection to this? No, we don't. Okay, That's strictly our assessment. But he does have four sons that die. So, you know, I, I think there's probably an intentional connection, but there's no statement to that at all. Chuck? I
1: just really appreciate God's wisdom. Uh, you see throughout the Bible the way people respond, like with Job and his friends, um, the way people respond by pushing them to their conclusion. Um, So Nathan didn't straight up tell David, um, David kind of was drawn to this conclusion, uh, uh, the the punishment for this guy who stole the sheep. And Job does the same thing. And I just, I don't know, the way that we teach people shouldn't be, I don't want to say direct, I mean it should be direct, but where we are giving them the fact, I don't know how to phrase that, but where we're pushing them to the conclusion and letting them Conclude things for themselves so that they really learn and not so that they're just in one
0: ear and out the other. Nothing like a parable to really bring the truth home to a guy in this situation. I think it was a very wise approach. You see the parallels and then it's hard not to see the application to yourself. <laughs> Shows a lot of wisdom. Um just, just seeing the
4: reaction of David reminds you people and how they say, Why do we need God for morality? We can make our own morality. And here goes David saying Oh, that man deserves to die. He doesn't know he's sentencing himself. Well, the judgment of God is different. It's more righteous judgment judgment he has because he has a plan. So why do we need God for uh, morality? Because he knows in the long run what's best. And that's why he gives us the law, the law that we follow. Um, So I see this as a great example of why our judgment should not be the basic Uh,
0: the basic of our morality should be God's. Good point. Amen. So look at the application
5: 7 to 14. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of your, Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die.
0: So, the uh, most dramatic sentence in the Old Testament. You are the man. Whoa. Can you imagine David's shock? I mean he's all involved in this story he deserves to die and what he's got to do is repay fourfold. and he's just outraged and Nathan turns and says it's you David whoa it's kind of like the uh, surgeon's scalpel that, that opens the wound and lets the pus come out and relieves the pressure I mean really this was needed you know? and God is just very forceful in this Look at all that God had done for him. Anointed him, delivered him, gave him his master's house, his master's wives, the house of Israel and Judah, and I would have given you much more, but you have taken Uriah's wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. You think the Lord didn't see what had happened? Wow, devastating. The Lord knew exactly what had happened. God gave, David took, Selfish, prideful. You know, it wasn't just a simple case of theft. He exploited his position to take advantage of somebody who was weaker than what he was. He sinned against Uriah, against uh, Bathsheba, against uh, uh, the, the people. And so God says, here's the punishment. The sword won't ever leave your house. We talked about how that would be. And your wives will be taken and violated in broad daylight. The punishment is appropriate. Um, And and so this idea, the words that David had spoken, the sword devours one as well as another. In 1125, those words come back to haunt him. They sure do. And right in his very family. Those are the consequences. It takes... This kind of punishment to awaken David to the seriousness of his sin. To David's credit, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. That is a great confession. That is appropriate confession. No excuses, no blaming, no dodging. He acknowledges his guilt and Nathan says, you have been forgiven. Comments and questions on this? Yes, Jay. Um. I remember
6: what you said um, about... Chilia, well, Adonijah, didn't that, Adonijah die after David died? And so David wouldn't be able to experience the pain of four sons being killed. Wouldn't Chilia be, be uh, the, maybe more, instead of um, Adonijah, Chilia?
0: It's a great thought, Jay. Never thought about that. Not sure about the sequence, but perhaps you're right. Uh, so good, good thought. I don't know. And uh, Adonijah's death, though, would be more in line with the consequences for this. But a uh, good thought. Yeah. Eric. I, I just like how David
3: immediately said that I have sinned against the Lord when, like, our tendency could be, well, eh, uh, 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 uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I mean, we want to qualify it 500 ways and diminish it and excuse it and explain it. You know, we have a hard time saying even to our best friend, I have sinned, I was wrong. You know, but that, that is a good point. Jason.
6: The old law calls for adulterers to be put to death. And I think in line with, with what David actually suffered, death may have been a preferable option mm-hmm. as far as what, I mean, you know, his life after this is just...
0: Good thought. Perfect. Yeah, good thought. I agree. Yeah.
6: Uh, and actually, uh, the way that, that David just you know finally admits and he said it, I think that's the way that we should um, try and realize or ask for forgiveness. You know, too many times we say that we have sinned, and then we have, but just because you know, something happened, like he could have said, "But Bathsheba was outside, like dating which she was supposed to." But like the really attitude we should have is just, "I have sinned, and not make any more excuses Just realize that we have." Uh, done wrong.
0: Amen. Good point. Logan.
6: Uh, I have two questions. Uh, one is, since the whole lot of dictate dictated the uh, adulterers were to be killed, why weren't after this being uncovered by the world, why weren't David and Bathsheba killed? And the second is when we're told that after even, and specifically, and Nathan mentioned specifically taking Bathsheba as his wife. Why was that okay and even that David's heir was born through her when he obviously shouldn't have had her in
0: the first place? Well, I don't know if I can answer either of those questions all that well. God did forgive David's sin um, and I don't know if we should interpret him taking Bathsheba's all that positive or not. He evidently did that prior to Nathan coming to him. Uh, So I don't know whether that was positive. Um, It's not and the fact that Solomon came through Bathsheba, certainly Solomon was not tainted by his parentage. So I don't, I don't have a definitive answer about uh, about any of that. Uh, but I would suggest that God forgiving David's sin as opposed to exercising the ultimate penalty of killing him. And as Jason said, it may have been easier if he had killed him. Beto.
4: Would it be correct to say that instead of David dying, his son died for him? Perhaps just like Christ died for us? Would that be correct? Maybe.
0: I mean, obviously, his sons that died deserved it. You know, they cared, they followed in his <laughs> deaths and they themselves, you know, died. The, the baby. baby. The baby. The baby, yes. Good point. Certainly, the baby the baby was not a sacrifice for David, but the baby died as a consequence of David's sin. Eric? Um, about David not being killed, the law said that an adulterer had to be stoned by
3: the evidence of two or three witnesses. And in this text, Nathan was a prophet. So he didn't witness any of that happening. Um, but I have a question about verse 8. When, in what sense did God give his, uh, David's master's house and his master's wives into
0: his arms? Well, I think the idea is the wives of the former king became, could become the property of his successor. So God had caused David to uh, succeed Saul on the throne. Therefore, that's, he gained the wives of Saul as part of his harem or whatever.
3: So if polygamy was wrong, then...
0: then I don't think we can argue polygamy was wrong. I think we argue that it wasn't a good idea.
6: Okay. Okay. Seth. Uh, Something that I I find fascinating about our God is how quickly he is to forgive in this passage. I mean, all we see of David's confession is, I have sinned. He doesn't have to go into a long, detailed list. He doesn't have to say... 4,000 Hail Marys. He doesn't have to go and do some great thing to, to get forgiveness from God. Um, it's immediate. As soon as he asks for it, he gets forgiveness.
0: God's forgiveness is really remarkable, Amen. isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Right. You
1: know, I feel as if God knew David's heart and that he
4: was sorrowful about <coughs> what he had done. I believe. He knew that. His anguish. But God needed to hear it. He needed to hear, forgive me. And David needed to say those words aloud.
0: Well, I don't think David had really repented and confessed until he said
4: Yeah, Yeah. and sometimes I feel like when I sin, especially, I'm like, well, God knows I sin. I mean, it's good. And then I don't specifically ask for forgiveness of that sin. I mean, God needs to hear it and we need to say it.
0: Yeah, we might try to brazen it out and not really have to come to terms with what we've done. But when we know we've done wrong, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and confess that and, and seek His grace. Uh, I think David, David was just kind of trying to act like nothing had happened. That's just wrong. He has to humble himself. Good point.
1: David. It is it perhaps... God showing his faithfulness and his mercy and the promises that he made to David back in chapter seven regarding his kingdom and his his kingdom being established in his throne. Uh, You know, he says there, granted, he's talking about his son, but says, You know, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the blows of the sons of men but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I removed before him.
0: Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you and your throne shall be established forever. And and, you know, you might think about this. These forever promises just means David's house is a place of enduring sorrow and, and disaster. I mean, to some extent, even that promise does not really alleviate David's suffering. For a long time to come, there's chaos because of what David had done. Yes,
1: Patrick. Um, I don't even know exactly how valid this question is, but I've been asked before. um, People look at this story and and have asked why wasn't David, I guess, struck down when you see other people like Uzva. You know, he sinned and You know, he was struck down and things like that. Like I said, I don't know exactly how the that question is. But if you were asked something like that, what would you say?
0: Well, I guess I would say that, you know, God does not punish everyone immediately. That the consequences of sin are not all equal. You know, and some people suffer. You know, why do some drunks get diseased and die and some don't? I don't know the answer to that question. I believe in the end, God will be just in his um, punishment and his salvation but that doesn't mean that every moment in history the scales are equally weighted it is remarkable here I think that God forgave David's sins how could God forgive David's sins the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins no indication that there was a sacrifice here anyway so how could God forgive David's sins He's God. Yeah. (laughs) But can God do something unjust? No. No. (laughs) Theoretically he could. Practically, no he can't because it's against his character. So how can he forgive David's sin? Perhaps it
2: was that David... In a sense, sacrificed himself through his heart. You know what I mean? Kind of like a living sacrifice.
0: Yeah, but that's right. not going to be an atoning sacrifice because he doesn't have any a just heart to offer. He's done it enough in the past. <laughs> no. Right. This answer, but Jesus
2: forgave people before he died on the cross somehow. So I don't know. Maybe we can draw something from that. I don't
0: know. Okay. There were others forgiven besides David before Jesus' death, like those that Jesus forgave before his death. And weren't there others still? So how could there be forgiveness before Jesus died? You ever, did, did God forgive David sins?
2: Well, I mean, Hebrews talks about how they are commended for their faith. So, I mean, and I feel like didn't David offer sacrifices later on?
0: Yes. So, I mean, but can the blood of bulls and goats take away sins? Yeah. Jesus is, I mean, isn't it still
3: right, through right, Jesus' right. sacrifice? Just like, but Because God's outside of time, he's able to like, forgive them because he knows that Christ
0: will be sacrificed. Yeah, I think clearly, David was forgiven on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. Even though he had not died yet, God knew that he would be. And therefore, God forgave his sins with a view toward the sacrifice that would provide the atonement for the sins. That's something you always get into people in discussing the Old Testament think that God didn't forgive the sins of people in the Old Covenant but God did forgive the sins of those who have faith because he was looking forward to the coming of Christ now we might look at that and just say this, you know forgiveness in David's case just doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair, David should have suffered, he should have paid the price Forgiveness is always unfair. That's what makes it grace. It is not a matter of justice. Don't say, well, I, you know, I trust God's forgiveness because he's a just God. Well, if he acted only on the basis of justice, we would all be condemned. It's by his mercy and grace that he's willing to forgive. You say, well, but he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That's right. No one deserves to be forgiven. No one can pay the price for their sins. Eric. What would you say then about 1 John 1 that says that if we confess our sins
3: he's faithful and just to forgive our sins? He
0: will uh, keep his promises. Okay. He will do what he said. Not that forgiveness is an act of his strict justice. Okay. An act of his strict justice would be condemnation for sin. Okay. Yeah so that's something to think about with this good passage. Remember this. Think about this. Now that David's been forgiven. Will, his, will there be a, a sword in his house where his wives be violated now that he's been forgiven? Won't that eliminate all the bad things that were going to happen because of his sin? No. Why not?
6: Sin carries with it consequences,
0: though forgiveness may have been granted. <clears throat> sin is so powerful that its consequences are suffered Even after the person has been forgiven. You know, sin separates you from God and sin brings terrible consequences in this life. When you're forgiven, the separation is canceled, but the consequences remain. That ought to help us. It ought to deter our rash acts. The pain of the suffering of the consequences of our sins is very healthy. It will will help us not do the same thing again. So he does suffer these consequences. He has been forgiven. Psalm 32 is clear. David speaks about the wonderful blessing of receiving forgiveness. It's clear in the context. He had received it. That's a passage used in Romans 4. To defend the idea of the justification by faith. What David experienced. The forgiveness of his sins. On the basis of his faith. Comments and questions. Questions. Uh, through verse 14, Seth.
6: David's life isn't the only one who isn't the only life ruined uh, because of the sin. First one, obviously, is Uriah. It, his life is, is cut short and so many other people um, never think that your sin, even how private you think it may be, that it only affects you, uh, it will affect others um, one way or another, that other other people's lives will be hurt, be destroyed, Anyone who looks up to you when your sin comes out, um, it, will, it has devastating results, uh, especially if, when, when people do look up to you. Um.
0: You can't avoid the consequences of sin. I mean, there are, there are some ill effects sin has, and it, you won't stop that. You know, forgiveness or no forgiveness. Kimberly. I just thought that
1: he didn't give up on David. Like we are usually the
0: ones who give up on God, but he never gives up on us. And when we follow like he's like trying to bring us back. You know, so. Yes, amen. All right, 15 to 23.
6: <clears throat>
3: then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David uh, were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. And David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and worshipped And he went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. but he will not return
0: to me okay, so the child of uh, David and Bathsheba is sick sin has consequences to other people, even to innocent people who may suffer as the result of my sin he is sick, he is dying, what is David doing during that time? Fasting fasting and praying the child dies they're afraid to even tell David You see how torn up he's been when the child was only sick. What will he do when the child dies? But David realizes they're whispering. (laughs) He knows what that means. And what's David's reaction when he knows that the child has died? There's no need to do that anymore. Gets up and acts normal. Which really bewilders them. But his idea is prayer and fasting has a chance while the child is alive. Once he's dead, he's dead. Prayers for dead people do not help. They're futile. They're empty. And so he's done all he could. He can't do any more. He might as well go on about his daily life. Interesting perspective on that. Um, but but very true. God fulfilled the threat. The child, he said, would die, and the child has died. Again, devastating consequences because of man's sins. Comments and questions on that? Yeah, Alan
2: a lot of faith and trust in him at this point, you know, then he said, you know, God could heal him, you know, having faith in God that he can do all things. But at the same time, God did just say,
0: Your son will die. Yes.
2: So it's kind of like, you know, I don't think God's gonna waver
5: on the matter. He said it, it's it's gonna happen.
0: He did not waver, did no. he? Yeah.
5: And even in that though, couldn't he raise him from the dead? So why does he stop? Why does he not keep praying and think, well God can bring him back?
0: wasn't a common event. <laughs> uh, I, and I don't know, is there any case of resurrection prior to David? I don't believe so. So he might not. it might not even have occurred to you.
3: Brian. Do you think that sometimes after sin um, you can have forgiveness, but then you can also pray for at least... Not the consequences to go away, but the consequences to maybe be lighter, be reduced.
0: We can certainly ask that. That may or may not be the Lord's will.
2: David. We've kind of danced around this, uh, but his his attitude through this, I think, is very important to notice and to look at. That, um, like we said, he's he's still showing trust in God, but his attitude toward this is God is in control. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try to change God's mind. But God has said what, what he would do. And then when when the child died, there's, he realized there's nothing more I can do. So he picked himself up, and he went on. And I think we have to do that a lot of times. There's a lot of things that happen to us in this world that we don't like the consequences and the, uh, that we just don't like to happen, and we want them to change. But ultimately, we don't have control over those things.
0: Yeah, good point. Accepting reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think
5: also something that's admirable about David throughout second Samuel is that even when God's will doesn't match up with His, I mean, obviously He did say with Shiva but He's He is willing to accept it, to be like Your will is greater than mine, and even though it's not comfortable for me, it's not ideal, He accepts that.
0: Good point. Yes, Logan.
6: Is verse 23 indicating that David has an understanding of
0: heaven and eternal life at this point, or is that maybe referring to something else? Maybe. I do think there are some indications throughout the Old Testament that men had some contact concept of life beyond the death. Um, there's several things in Psalms and Proverbs that indicate that to me. So maybe he did think that. I wouldn't rule that out. All right. Do you think there's any significance to the fact that the child died on the seventh day, the day
3: before he would have been circumcised and at the covenant? Or? Maybe.
0: I'm not sure. Maybe. somebody have a thought on that? Good question. Other thoughts? Yes.
4: I appreciate that even though he had been fasting and hungry, it's like the first thing
2: it is. He goes, he cleans himself up, and he doesn't go eat. He goes to the Lord first. Yes. And it's his priorities.
0: Yeah, that is encouraging, isn't it? Uh, you ought to always remember the Lord first. Other thoughts? Would somebody read 24 to uh, 31?
4: And David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and went into her and laid with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him, and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Solomon. Jedediah because of the Lord. Now, Joab fought against uh, Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. Lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of the king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and then it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he, um, he brought out the spoils of the city, a, great, uh, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and sent them to labor with, uh, with saws and iron pigs and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. Uh, and thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem.
0: Okay, so Bathsheba had, gives birth to another son, Solomon. A very significant son, obviously. And then Joab, we finalize the story from chapter 10. Joab is battling against Rabbah of the Ammonites, captured it, sends message to David, listen, you need to get here to accept the glory and the credit for the victory. Otherwise, I'll be the one celebrated because of this. So David gets there. They took the crown from the head of the king of Ammon. It was so large, it must have just been ceremonial and not actually uh um, something that they would wear around with them at least, perhaps wear it for short periods of time. Uh, and, and they make the Ammonites their slaves. So they win the victory of the battle that was started back in chapter 10 because of the uh, you know, suspicions toward the messengers that David sent to comfort Hanan over the death of his father. That was the beginning of the story. Now this is the end, with David and Joab gaining the victory over the Ammonites. Comments and thoughts, Chuck. Up until
1: 24, there's no acknowledgement of Bathsheba as David's wife, and then what, what changed? I mean, obviously.
0: Well, there's not a lot of mention of Bathsheba up till then. After David married her, you know, he marries her in 11:27. And then she's considered as
1: Uriah's wife, even even though is dead, as Uriah's wife up until the point four.
0: But those were in statements about what he had done. Not in statements about what she is to him now. That'd be my suggestion.
5: Cameron? The word Jedediah, which the Lord renamed Solomon, it um, I put it, it says that it means beloved of the Lord. Why was Solomon beloved of the Lord? Because he was born of this woman who had had his relationship, her relationship with David's bad from the start. And then as Solomon grows up, he doesn't get any better. He goes and ruins the country anyways with all these wives. So Why is he beloved of the Lord?
0: Well, wow. Um, because the Lord chose to love him. <laughs> I don't know that we merit the Lord's love. Now, I must say, it's not Solomon's fault that uh, David misbehaved with Bathsheba. And they are married at this point. So I don't know that that's, uh, you know, some kind of uh, you know, a stigma on that. Furthermore, you know, the child is not guilty of the parent's sins. What Solomon would do later is not relevant to the relationship God has with Solomon now. That's what I would say. I don't know. Somebody have a better answer on that? David?
2: Solomon wasn't also completely a bad king. Remember, he, he chose to. To be wise and to choose to lead the the people of Israel the way God would have him to be, rather than ask for riches and things like that.
0: You read his prayer in First Kings eight; you'll think he was an outstanding king. He turned bad at the end, Logan. Well,
6: and also if we take Ecclesiastes to be uh, written by Solomon, there's also an indication
3: that he may have turned back to God later in his life. Also. Excellent point.
0: I agree. I
2: think maybe it's... It specifies that God loved him because
3: he was gonna be the heir when there were so many sons that could have been the next king.
0: Maybe so. Yeah, Elizabeth.
6: So Solomon called Jedediah anytime after this?
0: Somebody help me out with that, not that I know of, but I don't know the answer to that for sure. Anybody think of an example where he was?
4: I'm trying to think uh, think of the relationship now that David shows uh, towards Bathsheba and the difference between this time that he lays with her and the previous time. Uh, Like previous time is just pleasure. This time, it seems like there's a more intimate relationship between them. And now this son seems (coughs) like the product of perhaps love or just that uh, deep feeling that he has for her. And perhaps that's why God loves this child, because it's like the heir of
0: a good relationship. Okay. The thought that's <laughs> right. Kimberly. Um, There's
4: just so many blessings that come, like when we repent. And that is, like we see that here with David. When we repented, there was many blessings that, you know. So much better to
0: repent and not keep trying to cover up and flee from what you've done. You're right. Some painful consequences, but it was well worth it. Other thoughts? Okay. Alex is going to lead us in a few